classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're answering your questions about life, reading, and classic literature. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. This is going to be really, really fun. I'm so excited. We got some really good questions, some things I'm excited to talk about and hear your responses to. And yeah, we haven't done this before. I know. The fun part is we get to know each other a little better with episodes like this, and then our listeners get to do the same at the same time. So I think we should just dive right in because we have a lot of questions to answer today. I think so too. Let's do it. Okay. So the first question, we got this multiple times, which is not surprising. Um, The first question is, have we met in real life? Short answer is no. We have not. (laughs) which is wild because we've been doing this podcast for a few years, but we launched this podcast in March of 2020. So that's all we got to (laughs) say. Yeah. Yeah. We hadn't met prior to that. We were just friends on Instagram and yeah, we, like you said, we probably would have met by now. We would have probably made that a priority had traveling not been so difficult. And now we both have tiny humans and Yeah, sadly, no, is the answer. But we hope to soon. I mean, I think, you know, within the next year, I think we would really love to get together and get those tiny humans together, too. Yeah. It'd be so fun to see them together. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely a a priority, definitely on the the podcast and personal wish list. It'd be so fun to record in person together, too. I know. And go to a bookstore and just hang out. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely take you along for that experience if we do get to meet soon. Um, but this leads us into another question that we got a few times. Everyone wants to know the podcast's origin story and how we met, at least online, and sort of just how this all came about. So, Sarah, do you want to start? sharing that story? I'll start, but you like jump in and fill in if I'm getting things wrong or missing (laughs) things. (laughs) So I, I don't quite remember like exactly when we started following each other on, on Instagram, but we both have bookstagram accounts for a while and followed each other. I think we had first talked about like books to include in the classroom and like things we were trying in the, in our classrooms and kind of encouraging each other to try more contemporary books and just like cheering each other on because we didn't necessarily have the most supportive environments in our schools always. Yeah. Um, and it was fun to like brainstorm with each other and talk with each other about what we were doing in the classroom. And you had the amazing podcast, He Read, She Read. And so when I thought I might want to start a podcast, I started asking you about podcasting stuff and you sent me some great resources about how to start a podcast. And the more I was thinking about it, I just kept thinking, hmm, I'd much rather do this with Chelsea (laughs) than by myself. And so I asked you if you might be interested in starting some sort of podcast about the classics. 
That's that's yeah. how I remember the very onset of this. Yeah, that sounds about right. I remember so with He Read, She Read, um, I mean, you got to listen to that podcast. So you knew kind of like my podcasting voice as yes. well. So we weren't going into this partnership totally blind. Well, you were. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. But I mean, we had communicated a lot enough to know that as far as teaching and classics were concerned, we had a lot of similar views and similar um, ideas. And I had been thinking about doing something with the classics as soon as I finished my master's degree program. I mean, I didn't really know what was on the horizon for me. We were moving to a new state. I wasn't sure what teaching was going to hold. And I like really wanted to use the information that I had learned somehow. So uh, when you approached me about podcasting and we were both sort of thinking about something with the classics, it was just, it felt meant to be. And then I think we had maybe like a couple of phone calls before we sort of sharpened that idea down. You're the one who came up with the idea for pairings um, and the name of the podcast, Novel Pairings. And then, yeah, so we were working on it, I think, for a good maybe four or five months at least before we released the first episode in March of 2020. Um yeah, and it's just ever evolving. And I am so glad that it worked out so well that we've become close friends and just that you're so easy to work with. Like, it's just been really easy. It's lovely. Yeah, I completely agree. It's been so fun. I think our creative processes work well together. We collaborate really well. Um, and yeah, I, I think I, I was thinking about how I think our first idea was to do like one classic a quarter and really kind of go more in depth and talk people through that classic. And then we started thinking that maybe that wouldn't be as fun for us as to mm -hmm. get to do those contemporary pairings. But now that we have our Patreon, we kind of do both, which is yeah. so fun that we've gotten to like... <laughs> bring back our original idea with our classes and doing more long books with our Patreon community and those deep dives. And yeah, so it is so fun that it's ever evolving and yeah, you're, you're the best. Love working with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's so sweet. Let's keep going <laughs> before we have just a total mush fest about how much we enjoy working with each other. Um, so someone asked, how much time per week do you spend on novel pairings? They're curious about our behind the scenes process. Um, this is harder to answer now, I think, yeah. because our we used to be very scheduled about novel pairings. And now it's a little bit of a free for all with said tiny humans. Um, <laughs> it's different every week. Do you did you think of like an average when you saw this question, Sarah? No, I was trying to. We used to have a more finely oiled machine. I think people are always surprised how long it takes to edit podcasts. It, it takes at least two to three times as long as the episode is to edit each podcast. So, I mean, when we were doing weekly hour long podcasts, that would be, you know, two to three hours a week of editing, which you used to do and then I used to do. And now, my husband does most of the editing, which is mm -hmm. awesome. Um, and when we were reading two classics a month, like if you count that, then quite a bit of time. I'm I'm a slow reader when it comes to reading for the podcast, especially. 
Um, so I don't know. I, I want to say like when we were doing weekly episodes and had a little bit more of a schedule about Instagram and newsletter and things that we are going to be bringing back soon as we figure out our own time management, maybe like 10 ish hours a week. Probably more, more? Uh, definitely more on the weeks where we're teaching classes and we're developing those. Oh, yes. Those. That's a great point. I forgot about the um, extra Patreon content. Yeah, I've never. So I work freelance for some other things. And so I track my time for that. I've never tracked my time for novel pairings. I've thought like, oh, I really should. Um, but I also don't want to take sort of the like element of fun out of it because <laughs> it feels like such a creative release yes. right now for me. So I don't I don't want to be tracking it and make it feel like it's a job, even though it is like now that we have Patreon, we do treat this as as a job. Yeah, I don't know that we can give a right a like correct number or anything, but I will say for any creators that you follow or podcasts that you listen to, if they make it sound easy, then they're working really hard and they're doing a lot behind the scenes and they're working way more hours than you think. Mm -hmm. If they're putting out an hour episode that took like at least six hours to put together Mm -hmm. everything for that episode from conception to planning, to recording, to editing, to show notes and all of that stuff. So um, probably a lot more than even you or I think we're spending on novel pairings. Not to mention just how much we think about it and talk oh, about all it. all the time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you bring up a good point about our classes, which are one of our favorite things to do. Those are super time consuming to plan. We do a lot of research for those. Um, I would like to say it's just like all of our own background knowledge that we get to share, but it's not. We we do a lot of prep and research going into those, and and those are always really fun too. So. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's fun. Yeah. Okay, this is a fun question too. How do you decide which books to cover on the podcast? We have, so we have a big like master list of books that we either eventually want to do on the podcast, requests that we've gotten. We have this list and we've kind of organized them. We've highlighted them. Um. (laughs) seasonally. Not every book is highlighted because some books don't have a seasonal feel to us, but for some we're like, oh, this would be a great one to do in the winter one year. This would definitely be a fall book because it feels really academic. So we kind of have them, we kind of think about them seasonally. And then within each season and each year, we just try to be really balanced. So we try to balance time period. We don't want to do uh, although we did have very Victorian fall, which was super fun, but we don't mm-hmm. usually want to do exclusively older classics. We like to bring in modern classics. We like the books each season to have a variety of moods because we know people read along with us and we want uh, different readers to enjoy that. And we want for ourselves to have some balance. We want a balance of author background, books that we love versus books that stretch us books that like The Great Gatsby that we know so many people have read versus more under the radar classics. So really it's it's mostly about balance, I would say. Is there anything you would add to that? No, definitely we look for balance and like you said, we we definitely are thinking about our audience, but also just this is 
a big part of our reading life now. Mm -hmm. So we want to make it as enjoyable as possible for us and trust that that translates to being enjoyable for everyone reading along with us. I think something that we have been considering a lot more now is length of books (laughs) because our time is so limited. And so as we are reading, you know, some shorter books and then thinking about, oh, what kind of big book do we want to stretch over a few months? Um, Length and yeah, just... a a wide variety of elements that diversify the books on our roster. All right. Speaking of books that we'd like to cover on the podcast, are there any nonfiction classics you want to cover one day? Yes, probably more than just this one, but one that's on my shelf that I've been meaning to read for ages is A Testament of Youth by Vera Britton. And this is a World War I memoir and it I think it was turned into a movie I've never watched the movie um so it'd be fun for a watch along um but it's supposed to be really good and I think it would make for a fun one because I rarely see it in bookstores or mentioned anywhere um but yeah it's been sitting on my shelf Penguin Classics Edition for a really long time. (laughs) So uh, I need the push to read it. That's sometimes how books end up on the podcast too, is when we're like, well, I've been meaning to read this forever. (laughs) I need the outer pressure. Totally. Um, What about you, Sarah? What do you want to read for nonfiction? I would really like to cover In Cold Blood by Truman Capote sometime. I used to teach it. I really liked teaching it. And it's one of the first true crime novels. He called it a novel. How true it is, is a fun question to talk about. And true crime is like, it's a genre that so many people love. I'm not sure if a lot of people who really adore true crime have gone back and read this one. And so I think that would be fun. It'd be fun to do some pairings and talk about the genre as a whole. So one day in cold blood for sure. Yeah. The pairings would be so fun. And that's actually a big part of what we do when we're deciding what books to read Yeah, is we think about (laughs) what pairings would be great. And can we think of pairings for this classic? Not that we always end up sort of changing our pairings, even sometimes down to the last minute, we'll swap some out as we read, but it does help to sort of have some pairings in mind or have, like you said, that genre in mind to give us some guidance of what to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. All right. In terms of tough question, this was a tough question. I need to still think about it while you're answering it. (laughs) Okay. So somebody asked, what is our favorite modern and classic pairing from the podcast so far? This was really tough. I looked back at our pairings and there are so many that I love. Um, And there are a lot that I I love that you paired um, there. Oh gosh, it was, it was really difficult. The ones that stood out to me as these are pairings that I would either maybe recommend for the classroom or just um, one of them is really fun. And it's a book that I wish more people would read. So first their eyes were watching God and salvage the bones. I love that pairing. I would recommend that pairing together in classrooms and just, 
I love Jasmine Ward and I, I think those books are in conversation in such a beautiful way. And then um, the other one that stood out to me was The Crucible and We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry. I just want more people to read We Ride Upon Sticks because I thought it was such a fun, inventive novel. And um, so those two are the ones that stood out now. But if you asked me next week or a month from now, I would probably have different favorites to pick out. This one was so hard, Uh, but it was fun to think back at some of our earlier episodes. So a pairing that I really loved that you brought was for the Odyssey episode. Actually, two of yours, you brought The Martian by Andy Weir and The Time Traveler's Wife by Audrey Niffenegger. And I, those were so, so smart and fun, I thought, but they were totally out of the realm of what I thought of her pairings. So I loved those, those pairings from you for, for the Odyssey. And then I just have to call back to maybe one of my favorite episodes, which was our episode on the remains of the day by Kazuo Ishiguro, because I love that book. And I like remember just being giddy at the time because like four or five of my all-time favorite books ended up as pairings for that one, which makes sense because The Remains of the Day is one of my favorites. So I I am not going to choose favorites among favorites, but I loved the all the pairings for that episode too. <laughs> I knew you were going <laughs> to pick that one. <laughs> or at least I was hoping so because it's your it's your favorite. Oh, also, okay. Also, now I'm looking at our spreadsheet, which is a Patreon perk. <laughs> if yes. you're considering joining Patreon, you get access to our ultimate novel pairing spreadsheet, which has all of the books we've covered and pairings. And we had some great pairings for Frankenstein, too, that would oh, be yeah. amazing to bring into the classroom, including... Um, Never Let Me Go, also by Kazuo Ishiguro. That might be my favorite, like, in the classroom, if I were going to pair some things. That one was great. I love it. Speaking of classroom, those were our behind-the-scenes questions. Now we have a bunch of questions under the category we're calling teaching and learning. (laughs) So these are sort of nerdy school-related questions And this first one's really fun. And I don't know this backstory. I mean, we've talked about teaching and collaborated on stuff before, but we've never talked about sort of like our stories with how we came to teaching. So this question is, how did you decide what to do after college? And I know we both have different journeys, so I'm really excited to hear about this from you, Sarah. Okay, well, Mine is kind of embarrassing because it was not like a calling at all. (laughs) When I was an English major, everyone would ask, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a teacher? And I would say, no, I did not want to be a teacher. I don't really know why I was so sure I didn't want to be a teacher, but I I was sure. (laughs) And so after college, I um, spent a year, I was living in Denver, And I was interning at Dining Out Magazine, writing food articles and restaurant reviews for that magazine, which was super fun, but also uh, teaching ice skating lessons. So I grew up as a figure skater and coaching ice skating is, um, it's, it's pretty lucrative. It's great. It's great for an early college grad. And when I was coaching skating, I taught lessons at 
a country club in town that would put up a rink in the winter. And one day after skating lessons, this adorable mom of two girls came up to me and she said, you're really cute and young. Do you nanny? That's literally, those were literally her words. (laughs) (laughs) I had like never babysat before in my life, which I told her. And she was like, well, would you want to? (laughs) And so I started also nannying her two girls and they went to a private school in town and This school had an alternative teaching licensure program where you got to work as an assistant in a classroom and get half of your credits for a master's and your education certification all in one year. And um, the mom who I worked for really encouraged me to give it a go because she thought it was great with her kids. And so I did that. So I my first year teaching was. I taught kindergarten at this school (laughs) and then I, I, I had a lot of fun teaching. Oh my gosh. If you teach little kids, you are amazing because it was so exhausting. It was so exhausting and I enjoyed it, but I knew that wasn't for me for the long term. So it wasn't really feasible for me to jump from one year of teaching kindergarten to teaching high school, no one would hire me. Um, <laughs> but I was able to move into teaching fifth and sixth grade for a year, which I liked. And then I went and did my master's in English. And I thought, okay, this will show me if I want to keep doing a PhD or if I want to go back to the classroom, having a master's in my subject matter, along with a little bit of um, TA experience at the college level uh, might help me find my way into a high school classroom. And it did. So yeah, that's my kind of winding path into teaching high school English. I love it. Mine's a lot more straightforward, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I started college and was set on being a theater and English double major. Um, I really wanted to be a dramaturg. which is a person who studies a lot of the history behind plays and then helps the director make certain choices based on on that context. So it was very history and English based. Um, And I loved my theater classes. I loved theater history and I loved directing and all of those things, but I wasn't really having a lot of fun in the theater department um, as far as like performing opportunities and just stuff like that. So I really loved my English classes. Um, In talking with a few other friends, I found out more about the education department at my college and felt the pull towards that. So then I changed my major. So I did undergrad in secondary education and English. So I graduated with my teaching license um, and then started teaching right after college. And then a couple of years into teaching, decided to get my master's degree in English. Um, and then I ended up teaching at the college level for a little bit. And now I teach for novel pairings. <laughs> so that's about it. <laughs> Would you ever want to teach theater? I So it's been so long since I've been in the theater realm at all. Um that I don't know that those opportunities would present themselves. Um, or if I would like 
or if it would be like riding a bike. Like, I don't know if I could get back into it really easily. Um, so I don't know, maybe I, I've also thought about like, I don't know, maybe someday I would want to like go back to performing again and do something at a local theater or, um, something like that. So we'll see. That's, it's not something that I'm kind of dreaming about now, but I, for now, I just love going to see plays and I really miss live theater. So yeah, it's still something I love, but I don't know that I would, that I would like to go back to teaching it. I had the best theater teacher in high school. Um, and so sometimes it's just a matter of what kind of teachers you have that That's guide so you. True. That's so true. Okay. Well, the, let's do this a little bit out of order then and jump to our favorite classes we took during school. English classes was the question, but if you want to talk about another type of class, <laughs> you should. Well, my favorite English class was Shakespeare. My favorite, that was my favorite college course. And I had just the most delightful professor. He was this short little man with round Coke bottle glasses. And he was so like soft-spoken and really sweet and then he would read a Shakespeare monologue in class and his voice would get deeper <laughs> and it was he would really perform it. And he's just delightful. I'm still, I'm friends with him on Facebook and we still like say hi from time to time. And um, I learned a ton in that class and it was just, it was probably the class that I looked forward to the most. And it was a night class um, and I still really looked forward to it. So oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I loved that one. What about you? Well, I, the, the school I went to was on the block plan. So we took one class at a time for three and a half weeks and then changed classes. And so that allowed for some, some travel. So I got to take a class called Greek poetry and philosophy in Greece. And we traveled around Greece and read Greek poetry and drank a lot of wine and it was amazing. I mean, yeah, really hard to top that yeah. class. <laughs> there was a poetry professor and a philosophy professor with us. And um, one of them, the poetry professor, he spoke modern Greek and the philosophy professor read ancient Greek so he could read everything wherever we went. And oh gosh, it was so amazing. But I just, I miss being a student. There were so many that jumped to mind. I took a class all about James Joyce's Ulysses, which like did not become like a favorite book or anything, but I just loved that experience of reading one book over the course of a class and just learning it inside and out. Um, I've talked about my other Victorians class on here um, on various podcasts. And then I took one that really informed my teaching a lot. It was called class fictions. It was about how class is represented in fiction, uh, especially American fiction. And that became really kind of a root of how I taught American lit when I, when I taught it in high school. So I just, I really miss being a student. I, I would be a professional Same. student if that was <laughs> <Same>. a career. <laughs> Same. I was thinking of another, this is very random class that I took, but I was in the honors program at my college. And part of that was our general education credits were a little bit different. So they like combined two classes and would put them together. So it was just really interesting. But um, 
I had to take a science class or we, you know, we all did for whatever reason. I don't know. None of us wanted to take science because so the kids who were in this science class were all like the fine arts <laughs> and humanities Oh, that's kids. so fun. So we were, we were totally out of our depth and the professors knew that and they knew that like none of us wanted to be there. So they were like, okay, well, what do you want to learn about? So we convinced them to do food science with us. Oh, amazing. That that was pretty fun. And then they ended up then offering that as a course at the college for everyone because the professors had so much fun doing it. And it went over so well that our final project was to present like, here's why this should be a course at the college instead of like a science test. (laughs) They were like, we're going to lead into these kids' strengths. We're going to make them do a presentation. Amazing. Um, It was so fun. We got to eat (laughs) for class. That was, it was a blast. That's, I love that so much. More mashups, more pairings. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What about, what are some modern classics or just books in general? I'm changing this question slightly (laughs) that you think should be added to high school curriculums more often. I mean, if I want to get a little sassy, basically just all the books that are being banned right now. Um, but more YA, a lot of YA books, um, are on those lists and choice reading. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think if we let high school kids choose the books that they were going to read, at least for one unit a year, um, I used to do that. And the way that they got so excited about reading, it was oh, just so fun. Great. And they, their writing skills, all of the skills surrounding what they were supposed to be doing were well achieved with them choosing what they what they wanted to read. Mm-hmm. Um, so that or maybe something like Olympus, Texas mm. um, or a fairy tale retelling. So any kind of contemporary reads that would really lend themselves to pairings with older texts, shorter, older texts. So, I mean, you could read Olympus, Texas and you could read some Greek myths and you could have, you know, discussions about that. And those sorts of pairings in the classroom, just the critical thinking is amazing. The stuff that comes out of that, the way that kids can see how texts are structured, how authors do things, how things are put together. Um, and just anytime that you can kind of change up what you're doing, because a lot of kids just get bored in the same book for a whole unit. Anytime that you can bring in some smaller, shorter outside texts is great. So yeah, so that's not necessarily a straight answer, but what about you, Sarah? I completely agree. I have Cersei on my list. I taught that one year and that was really fun. I think a lot of kids would enjoy that. Generally, more books that feature teenage protagonists, whether they're YA or written for adults, I think that kids should see themselves in in books more, more often. And I might contradict myself in this a little bit when I when we talk about books that have been huge hits for for students, but I think there needs to be a balance because so much of what we read in the high school curriculum is just about like loss and grief and longing and, um, you know, the the failure of dream. There, there's just and and kids can can appreciate those things. It's not that they like don't have the maturity level to appreciate that kind of literature, but you know, those books aren't written for teenagers. <laughs> and I, I think that, I, I don't know, some people may think this is like pandering to, to 
kids, but I just think that they should see books where their lives and the themes that are important to them are are reflected more often. Um, so yeah. Also passing. Every every school should teach yes. passing. <laughs> <laughs> and it might not have been true 20 years ago when a lot of these curriculums were being made, but now there's such amazing YA, well-written, deep themes to discuss that the choices are endless. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I do want to circle back to this question because I know we have a lot of teachers who follow us. Sarah, when you taught, how did you find time to read? Okay. This is a great question. I mean, I think that part of it was I reframed reading as part of my job, like not in a way that made it feel hard or boring or like I didn't want to do it. But if I, if I was thinking to myself, oh, I really should be doing something else instead of reading this book, I would think to myself, no, like having a understanding of the literary landscape is part of my job as an English teacher, because I'm trying to bring new books into the classroom. I'm trying to have a catalog of books I can recommend to students individually. So like having having that experience and reading should be part of of my job. So that's one way I would do it was just like kind of tricking my brain and <laughs> not even tricking. It's true, but but re- reframing it. Also tons of audiobooks. I had like a 30, 45 minute commute and I would listen to audiobooks all the time. And then I think you did this too. I would have free reading time in class and I would, as much as I could, use that time to read as well because research shows it's really important for young people to see adults in their lives read if they're going to become lifelong readers. Yeah. And I will say it is possible to structure your class time in order to include that free reading time. I feel like when we had, so we did free reading Friday. And so the whole class period on Friday was reading time. And this was when we weren't on a block schedule. Mm -hmm. So classes were like 40 minutes or something. Um, So maybe we would have a short quiz or something that I needed to take care of with the kids, but it would be reading time. Um, And they got so much more done Monday through Thursday because they knew that Friday was a break, basically. And we accomplished so much more during the week because they knew they were going to get a breather that it we were all more efficient because of that. And I was a much better teacher because I knew that we would be able to breathe at the end of the week. And I wasn't pushing them too hard and I wasn't pushing myself too hard. Um, But yeah, I did my best to just read along with them because if they see you reading, they are so much more likely to pick up their book and keep reading. That time ended up being really important. And when I hear from former students, that's what I hear about Mm. is like, I'm still reading books because we had that time together. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's possible. And I know it's really tough when you have outside forces telling you, you have to accomplish this, this, and this in your classroom. And, uh, you know, some administrators might not be amenable to having a full 
day where you're reading. I, I was really lucky that mine were. So um, just some encouragement if, if you're hoping to do that. And especially like this time of year is the perfect time to implement it. You don't have to wait until next year. That's a great point. Everyone's exhausted right now. Mm-hmm. Give, give everyone a break and read. It's not really a break, but it feels like it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Oh, that's such a great point. All right. How about what's a book that you taught that was always a huge hit with your students? Romeo and Juliet. But I taught ninth grade pretty much my entire teaching time. Um, I've I've taught a few other grades, but ninth grade was was my core area. So, yeah, Romeo and Juliet was the biggest hit every single time. Even when we were reading, I mean, we read some YA, we read some um, contemporary books, but nothing beat the kids standing up and acting out a play and they just got so involved and it was so much fun. So I, and I like to think that I was really good at teaching Shakespeare too. I think that's part of it is it's what you feel like you are confident in teaching Mm -hmm. usually translates to the best experience for your students. So probably Romeo and Juliet. What about you? Gatsby was always an easy sell. Like they were just excited to read Gatsby before yeah. they even got there because I don't know, they go to like great Gatsby theme parties and stuff. Yeah. And then you kind of ruin the book for them, which is also <laughs> fun. Um, Beloved, it's hard to call it like a hit. Like it's not like necessarily, I mean, it is such a hard book, a hard book to teach. It's emotionally draining. I'm certainly not like an expert in teaching it. But that was the one book I feel like I taught and every year could see the students just like marveling over Toni Morrison's craft, like just blown away by what she could do with language and with storytelling. And I feel like that that book just it makes them see history in a new way, but it also just makes them see writing in a new way. And that that was really cool. and then I really liked teaching The Handmaid's Tale. I taught at an all-girls school with a like strict dress code, and <laughs> they could just really relate to that book in weird ways. Um, and it, yeah, so it was that was always really it was just cool to be like in a in a space where um, the students could really talk about gender and sexuality and identity within the context of of this book and in a space where they felt really safe. So I really, I liked teaching that book a lot too. Okay, let's move on about face and talk about our our baby bookworms. And we'll try to do this a little more quickly (laughs) because it's just (laughs) so fun to talk to each other. Um, We were asked if we have any recommendations for first books to build baby's library. Yes, of course we do. Um, Okay, I love this book. This is one, I actually don't even have it on my own shelf, but I gift it to everyone because I gave copies to my nephews and they're obsessed with it. It is Shh, We Have a Plan by Chris Houghton and it's adorable and it's very repetitive, but it's silly and fun. It's fun to read. Um, There's this part where the characters are tiptoeing slowly and then they stop and they're like chasing this bird. 
you just have to get it for the little ones in your life. But my nephews, they they go like tiptoe, tiptoe. And they like act it out as they're reading the book. And you can't beat that reading experience for little ones. Um, currently, Theo's favorite book is Let's Look at Animals by Marion Duchars. Really cute illustrations. Um, each page is a different animal and they're like facing away and they're like, what am I? And then you turn the page and you see the face of the animal. Super cute, really simple. Um, a book that was gifted to us um, from my friend Shannon is LMNOPs by Keith Baker. That one's really fun to read. Um, yeah, those are probably my top three at the moment. So fun. Um Louise doesn't like to sit still. She doesn't really like reading books. <laughs> Much to my chagrin. But um, but we try. <laughs> and I mean, I, I think this is, you know, uh, every every parent, I think, knows Sandra Boynton. But her books are amazing. And Louise does really like music. And there are amazing Sandra Boynton albums where, like, great recording artists have like recorded music to her lyrics and her books have you oh, not listened cute. to these oh you have no to- oh okay our favorite is frog trouble it's like a country album there's casey musgraves song oh josh turner and um Fountains of Wayne does one. <laughs> it's so fun. Um, but there are, are tons of these albums. They all have like a different kind of genre. There's like a big band one and they're so fun. So the books and then the the music that goes along with them. Um, I really like A Unicorn Named Sparkle, which a friend sent me. And then I think I sent it to you, Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> when my friend sent me this book, I read it to Louise and then I texted her and said, did you send me this because it's a metaphor for having a difficult baby? <laughs> and she said, I didn't think about it that way, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, I love it. And then last night I read, Louise, this was a gift from my sister-in-law, The Noisy Book by Soledad Bravi. And this is the first time I think she's been like riveted by a book. It's just like oh. the, it's just various noises and she thought they were hilarious she kept looking back at me like you're making that noise <laughs> Where is that coming from? <laughs> so um yeah those are a few a few that I recommend oh, that's so cute when my friend from college visited she read a unicorn named sparkle to Theo like three or four times because she loved it so much it's so good <laughs> it's really cute <laughs> yeah when I read it I was like tearing up at the end it was oh I know I love it <laughs> All right. Um, this listener wants to know what we're both doing to raise kids who love to read now. So we said, like, we're reading all the time. To read, whether she hates it, <laughs> whether they like it or not. Yeah. Um, and plans for as they get older. And we actually have a full episode on this. We had Ann Bogle stop by, and she shared some really great tips. I will basically just be doing everything she says. Yeah. <laughs> And one of my favorite things that she said was to keep reading yourself so yes. that they see it and to just talk about books a lot. And I love that so much. Yeah. We'll link There'll to that be a lot of for sure. Yes. There's going to be a lot of library time in our future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so. I can't wait to, to go to the library. I know. 
any um, juvenile fiction or middle grade that you're excited to read to or with Theo one day? I don't really have specific reads in mind, but my husband does. <laughs> he is like really excited to read Lord of the Rings with him Aww. someday, um, to read uh, the C.S. Lewis, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series with him. Just a lot of like the fantasy books that Curtis grew up on, mm-hmm. um, probably some Star Wars books. So I think that that is probably going to be he. Curtis also just has like a really great reading voice. So I just have a feeling that's going to be a little bit more his realm. Um, I think I'm excited to read A Wrinkle in Time. Um, that's but, the one I thought of too. Yeah, but uh, I think that's going to be a little bit more Curtis's realm. And I'm I'm excited to listen <laughs> as well and just have that family read a long time. Oh, that's Do you have so any fun. other ones? Other than A Wrinkle in Time, I mean, not really. I think maybe Anne of Green Gables which I didn't read until I was an adult, but I, I think is a really lovely one. Um, I love the fantasy ones. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited to see what she's interested in, what those, those chapter books will be. Cause I can see enjoying that even a little bit more than reading the, the board books and picture books. Although that's super fun too. So yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll keep you posted in the years to come. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so uh, we will save a couple of baby bookworm questions for Patreon. We'll release a bonus episode of some of the leftovers, but we still have so much to cover, and we have a whole bunch, naturally, about classic literature. Um, I feel like we can probably talk about this first one quickly because we talk about this all the time. Um, What are your best reading strategies for reading classics. So audiobooks, we talk about this. It really just brings things to life. You can hear the tone, the humor that sometimes falls flat on the on the page when the language feels archaic. We are not above using and recommending Sparknotes and other um, other resources that summarize. And sometimes we rec- we recommend reading the summaries before you read the book, because when you have a basic understanding of the plot, you can get a little bit deeper into, into your reading. So those are two that we talk about a lot. Yeah. And then uh, reading with other people. Mm-hmm. Book club, you don't have to understand everything because then you get to go talk about it and someone else will think of something that you didn't and vice versa. And getting to talk about the books is a great, just good motivation to uh, keep going and pressing forward if they're a little tough to get through and B, just illuminate so much about the the book. So I would say those are our top three. Yeah. Okay. This one's fun. If you had to live in the world of a classic novel, which one would you choose? Probably Anne of Green Gables. Oh yeah. I would like to be on Prince Edward Island. Mm-hmm. Because it's so beautiful. That's a good one. Or the Blue Castle. Yeah. Anything Ella Montgomery. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I feel like I would like to experience Regency England for like a couple days. <laughs> if Until I was, started to smell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
and only only if I was of like an aristocratic class. That's the thing with all of these like classics is as a woman, it's like really none of them. <laughs> right. Um, but I do, I really wish maybe one day we'll take a field trip and we'll get to attend the Netherfield ball that they host that the Austin society hosts in England every year and just be in a good smelling Regency England for. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be so fun. Um, okay. Let's see. This is a fun one. What classics would we be surprised to hear you haven't read before? I, I think, although I, I just said this, so no one's going to be surprised anymore. <laughs> but I didn't read Anne of Green Gables or Little Women until my adulthood, like the last couple of years. Um, so I think that's surprising because those are just such like, you know, reader books uh women who are readers often cite those as their favorites and then i don't know i was trying to think of there 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 are definitely more but it is hard to think of things that you haven't read (laughs) Mm -hmm. how about you i mean there's a lot that i haven't read i'm only one person yeah and even having like having two degrees in english literature barely scratches the surface Mm -hmm. Especially because some of the classes, I was reading the same things. Um, So, and I don't, aside from the podcast now, I don't really read classics on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, I really exclusively just read them for for the podcast. That's how I get them in my reading diet. So, I mean, I haven't read any Dickens novels. I don't really feel like it. (laughs) I'm sure we'll have to get to him someday, but... I like I've read short stuff, but I I haven't read any of those chunky Dickens novels. So that might surprise people because he's one of those funny Victorian writers. But yeah, so I don't know. We didn't read any Dickens in my undergrad. I read Dickens in grad school. Um, Yeah. And then I had to teach Great Expectations. It was summer yeah. reading for sophomores. It was it was on our summer reading list my freshman year of high school. Ugh. So I probably, I mean, I probably read like three pages. Yeah. 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 When like your best students come in and tell you that they didn't do the summer reading, you're like, this needs yeah. to change. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of, if you could maybe put some more modern, contemporary, recent books on that summer reading list, what do you think are some recent reads that might be modern classics? Ooh, um, I wouldn't do this now because it's like too present, but I think Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel will become a modern classic. Mm-hmm. I think it's just one of those books that has like broad appeal. Lots of readers love it, but there's so much to delve into. And then because like, even though it was written before COVID, it's become like kind of this like novel that speaks to our present moment. I think it will maybe be a modern classic and I think could for sure be something that kids read in school one day. The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, I would not assign a summer reading, <laughs> but I think 
yeah. might be become a classic. How about you? Station Eleven is such a good one. Um, I just think of some of these powerhouse writers that, like, when you hear they have a new novel coming out, the literary world just kind of shivers. <laughs> like Jasmine Ward, Colson Whitehead, um, Britt Bennett. And yeah, but I also like, I really like to think of because so many of the classics that we read and for the podcast, like the Victorian classics, people were like, no way this is going to be, you know, read forever and ever. It's just fun entertainment. And so I try and think of like, okay, well, what are some of the fun entertaining novels that are going to end up there someday? So I don't know. I'm going to have to keep thinking about this one. I feel like we get this question a lot and I'm always like brain fart. (laughs) We should think about it and then do like a whole bonus episode on it or a whole episode on it because um, I think it would be be really fun and it'd be fun to outsource and hear what other people think as well. I agree. Um, How about a how about a good starter classic? For someone who hasn't read many. I have two that I like always recommend. Pride and Prejudice. Because there are so many film adaptations to watch. It's a well-known story. And I think it helps to know the story going into it. And Passing. Because it's short and it's propulsive. And really, really good. So... All the peas, Pride and Prejudice and Passing. I don't have anything to add. Those would be the two go-to, yeah. I would say, as well. Um, and Pride and Prejudice is a classic we both love to reread. That's another question we got. Are there any other classics you like rereading? Oh, gosh. Not really. If I do reread a classic, it's either for the podcast or maybe I'll listen to it. There's actually, so I'll have to link to this because I don't remember exactly the name, but there is a podcast and they read classic literature um, chapter by chapter for each episode or a few chapters at a time, but it's to help put you to sleep. So they'll read like there's Anne of Green Gables, Alice in Wonderland, The Wizard of Oz, Pride and Prejudice. And so you can listen to the classic. So I did this when I was pregnant and I couldn't like take melatonin or anything to like help me fall asleep. And I was really having trouble with that. So I would listen to Pride and Prejudice. And because you already kind of know the story and this narrator is so soothing and like reads it nice and slow, um, it helps you fall asleep. So that's actually probably the most popular way that I reread the classics right now. Okay, that's amazing. Do you think they're hiring? Because I think I would be really good at that. <laughs> you would be. Yes, you have the perfect voice I think voice I have a good sleep it. story voice. <laughs> um, you might have to put on a British accent. No. <laughs> they don't, you can't fall asleep to American literature. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, The Wizard of Oz was in there in Green Gables. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, you would be, be great at that. Maybe we can just have, like... Uh, a subset of novel pairings be a little series like sleepy time with Sarah. <laughs> oh yeah. That'd be a good, that'd be a good Patreon feature. <laughs> All right. So we've talked about teaching. We've talked about classics. We've talked about babies and now we have one of the babies with us. So please excuse the baby noises. Let's talk a little bit just about our personal reading habits and some general reading advice. 
Chelsea, do you make a personal reading plan for the year or monthly or do you plan your reading? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If I did, I wouldn't read. Mm. I, it's utter chaos. So um, the only planned reading that I have is for novel pairings. I can't plan my reading because that's, I'm just such a mood reader and I'm so chaotic about it. I'm so organized in the rest of my life and my reading life is not at all. Um, yeah. So novel pairings, that's the only reading commitment that I have. Um, every now and then I'll have like one other book that I need to read for something, but Really just novel pairings is the only reading plan that I have every month, quarter. Um, So I don't really make reading goals for the year. At one point I did. At this point, I'm like, no, I'm just going to go where the wind takes me. Do you make a reading plan? No, I'm a mood reader too. But I will say that having some plans in place for novel pairings and then for my Fiction Matters book club, has made my mood reading all the better because I think just having like a couple books each month where I'm like, okay, I know I'm reading these two to four books. Is that going like, what, what genre are those in? Is that going to be heavy? What else do I kind of want to fit in around those books is really helpful. So I, I, as much as I like do resist like a full list or a plan, I will say that having some, (laughs) I will say that having some books that I know I'm going to read helps me read more spontaneously kind of throughout the rest of the month. So I like having that balance now. That makes sense. I do think that the novel pairings reads, because we are thinking of pairings, sometimes provides a little structure. So I'll sometimes read something that I think will be a good pairing. But that's still in the moment deciding. So there's definitely not like a yearly plan that I follow. I really respect the people that do. Like I really admire when people are Me like, too. this is what I'm doing this year. And yeah. I'm going to read these 12 books. And I'm like, you are awesome. I could never do that because I would automatically not want to read those. It's just my personality. It's, it's just a total weird thing about me. So uh, this is a great question too. Um, I don't know that I have, again, a specific answer, but this listener said, I'm always impressed by how many books you read or have read. How many hours a day do you spend reading? Maybe before having children and after having children. <laughs> okay, well, um, before, I mean, I, I mentioned I had a long commute before, so I had that audiobook time. And then I I don't know, I probably would read like during the weekdays, like 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the day um, at night. And then I would have like leisurely weekend days where I try to read as many hours as possible. Um, so yeah, that's pre-baby. With baby, I have a baby who really likes cuddle naps. So <laughs> I do that and listen to audiobooks like an hour a day probably, which is very lucky and nice that we can do that. And then I try to squeeze in maybe 15 to 20 minutes some nights. How how about you pre and post? 
Yeah, pre-baby, I mean, it always varies. There's really not a daily goal that I try and meet. And this is, again, something where I'm very unstructured about my reading life. So there, especially summers when I was teaching, over summer, I sometimes would read five hours a day um, before having a baby. Um, Now, maybe I read... uh, 30 minutes to an hour a day on average. Um, Every now and then, Theo will take an extra long nap um, and I'll read for that pretty much that entire two hours. But that's really rare that like the planets have to align and angels have to sing in order for that to happen. (laughs) Not for like he's he's a pretty good napper, but I mean, like in order for me to have other things done and to like sit down with a book and actually read for that entire time. that takes a lot. But uh, yeah, I I think that because we're sharing pairings on the podcast, and a lot of these are books that we have read in the past, um, maybe even like seven or eight years ago, it seems like we read a lot more. I mean, I do think we certainly read more than average, but it's part of our jobs. Yeah, I mean, I, I always am hoping to read more. Audiobooks are such a key. Audiobooks are huge. And I listen at like 1.5 speed. I'm not like a super speed listener. Yeah. But it definitely bumping up helps you get through more for sure. Absolutely. So speaking of books and how we're choosing to read and how much we're reading, where do you get most of your book recommendations from these days, Sarah? So, I mean... I'm on Bookstagram, so I'm inundated with recommendations there, and I I find a lot of my recommendations there. I also get books sent to me, and I mean, it's easier to read what you have in your hands. So that's definitely how I find a lot of my books. And then um, I get a lot of book recommendations from patrons, both Fiction Matters patrons and Novel Pairings patrons because I know those patrons have similar tastes to us and so I really value their recommendations how about you I feel like novel pairings patrons are intimidated to give me recommendations because they know that (laughs) because they know that I'm such a rebel (laughs) (laughs) yes they know that's a surefire way for you to not read a book no it's terrible. I love because I love talking books with people and I love recommending books. Um, yeah, I, I'm really sorry, y'all. I'm just it's a personality flaw I've had since I was little. Um, no, there are there are definitely recommendations from patrons um, that I get. And it's really fun to sort of see what everyone's reading and hear their pairing recommendations and kind of pick up books from there. Um Okay, a couple of other places where I get book recommendations from. So we're part of Libro FM's advanced listening program, and that's a great way to get recommendations. And also, I mean, not just for audiobooks, sometimes I'll scroll through there uh, because they're advanced listening copies. So they're, you know, in advance. They're either that month or a little bit ahead. And so it's nice to see from there what's coming up and I'll kind of decide, oh yes, I really want to read this on audio or, hey, this title really interests me, but I think I would rather read it on paper. So there, the Libra FM advanced listening copies are a big 
big draw for me. And then just browsing uh, like indie bookstores or uh, blog posts. I mean, I feel like at this point in my reading life, I really know what I like. And so I can read a cover copy or a description or a review of a book and pretty much decide if I think it's right for me. So those are a couple of ways that I get my book recommendations. And then I mean, of course, every now and then listening to a podcast or talking to a friend and they mention something. It's always nice when it kind of happens serendipitously like that. And and from you, Sarah, from from talking to you about novel pairings and getting book recs and Yeah, totally. And I, I feel like we have similar enough ta- taste and understand each other's taste well enough, but we also stretch each other a little bit, which is yeah. Awesome. Definitely. Okay, this is a fun one. I was actually just thinking about this last night because I was scrolling my library, the Libby app, to find an audiobook that would soothe me to sleep. So, Sarah, what is a comfort read you go back to often? All of Austin's books. I love rereading those. I go back to them quite regularly. Um, I guess especially Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, and Emma, I think, are probably the the three most comforting to me. Yeah, I also really enjoyed rereading some Sharon Creech middle grade last year. I So I wouldn't say I go back to those often, but that was a fun, recent comfort read for me. How about you? What's your go-to? What What's soothing you to sleep right now? <laughs> yeah, I'm a comfort listener. So if I reread something, it's usually audiobook. So Tessa Dare's romance novels for me are like a warm, cozy blanket. A couple of my favorites, I like listening to When a Scott Ties the Knot. That's a really fun one. That just came in my Libby app. I can't wait to read it or Perfect. I think listen to it. I think I got it on audio. Yeah. It's so fun. Her books are really charming and funny. And so I like rereading those and I just really like her writing style and seeing how she puts a story together. So those are usually my comfort reads. I I re-listen to a lot of romance reads, especially historical romance these days. I love that. Oh, this is okay. This last one is a great one to end our reading an advice section on because we kind of did this for ourselves except on the internet. <laughs> yeah. So do you have any tips when you're trying to make bookish friends outside of work? Uh, this listener is planning an indie bookstore tour for herself in this new town that she is in, but she's not sure how to invite people to join and is asking for any tips to make those book friends or get people to tag along with her. Okay. I, I have a couple. One I think would be to contact the bookstores and see if they have any like meetups planned for like indie bookstore day. And maybe there are some meetups planned or maybe they have like a book club and She doesn't have to do it herself. But my other piece of advice is to maybe join Bookstagram and tag the city and the bookstores. There is a awesome Bookstagrammer, Clumsy Words, who I followed forever. And we both would like see posts 
from the same parts of Denver <laughs> and comment like, oh, that's where I take my dog to daycare. And now we're friends in real life. So you don't have to have like thousands of followers to enjoy Bookstagram and to find people in your city and to make bookish friends that way. So that would be especially with such a great idea to do this bookstore tour. I think if you post about that, tag some people, find some other bookstagrammers around you, that could be that could be a way as well. That's super smart. I love that idea. Both of those ideas. And yeah, I've done the same thing where we move all the time every few years. And so when we moved to my current state, I found someone who I knew from Bookstagram and I were moving again soon. And I already know there's at least one person there who I know through the internet. But I was thinking, you know, if you are going to any workout classes or running groups or anything like that, you don't necessarily have to make bookish friends in bookish spaces. So at a yoga class, if you get to talking to people, you can always say, hey, has anyone read anything great lately? And you might be surprised. And sometimes it's really fun to connect with readers who, you know, are are interested in other things that you're interested in. So you have more than just books in common to talk about. So um, that's, that's one of my recommendations as well is just bring it up in the context of other friendships and other friend groups. And you might be surprised at who is an avid reader and you just wouldn't know because you're talking about something else all the time. That is so smart. That's such a great idea. I think we should just do one final question because I'm so curious about this answer. And I just, I really love this question. Sarah, outside of books, this is in our miscellaneous category. I just, <laughs> just want to get this last one in if we can. Outside of books, what is a topic you could give your own TED Talk or host another podcast about? Okay, well, I mean, I, I feel like that question makes it sound like already an expert. And I'm not an expert in this, but I'm fascinated by it. And I would love to host a podcast and learn more. Oh, this is going to be hard for me to explain. But... <laughs> I am fascinated by the way language shapes our reality and how we have to have certain words for things in order to be able to perceive or understand them or how the way grammar works impacts the way like people who speak different languages actually perceive and take in the world. I have like some fun anecdotes I could share about that, but I would love to host a podcast where I like really deep dived into the research of that so that would be mine but it's not I'm not professing expertise in that just great interest (laughs) I love it how about you oh your topic is so nerdy and delightful and sweet I so (laughs) I just like to learn a little bit about everything I don't know that I am a deep enough expert in anything to give my own TED talk But if I hosted another podcast, it would be an advice show because I like telling people what to do. (laughs) Well, we should have that on this podcast. We could have an Patreon advice segment with you, Chelsea. I would love that. And you could do bookish advice, other advice, whatever. (laughs) 
You could just I, tell people what to do. I would have so much fun. That's that's my role in every friend group that I'm in is you need some advice on something. Oh, go like my other friends will say, why are you asking me? Go ask Chelsea. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that would be <laughs> if I had any other podcast, it would probably be sort of a, an ask Abby situation where I I would be giving people advice and getting all up in their business. I'm just saying we could we could probably make this happen. <laughs> probably. So something to think about as we consider expanding uh, our Patreon content. I mean, I think people would like to hear your anecdotes about language and perception in Patreon as well. I know I would. So I don't know about that, but maybe it be, could be a fun class one day. You're underestimating how nerdy <laughs> everyone is. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. All right. Well, we have some questions we did not get to um, about least favorite books <laughs> and some more personal questions. We're saving those. We're going to do an extra Patreon Ask Us Anything. So patrons, stay tuned for that. And we'll, of course, post about it on Instagram for anyone who maybe wants to join us over on Patreon this month to hear that bonus episode. We have a lot of fun stuff going on over at Patreon, and we are slowly but surely getting all of that back up and running after maternity leave. So we would love to have you there. We'll also probably answer a few extra questions on our Instagram stories. So you can follow us at Novel Pairings Pod to catch those and send us a message or drop in the comments on a recent post and say hello if you're a new listener. We love to get to know you. And yeah, like I said, we're getting Patreon back up and running. We have a couple different levels, $8 literature scholar level. Those patrons have access to monthly classes, our book club discussions, and bonus episodes. And then at the $5 literature lover level, um, those patrons get access to bonus episodes on Fridays. We're trying to get those up and running and available soon. But we also have a backlog of episodes to listen to. So go to patreon.com slash novel pairings to check all of that out. Join us for future events. And we would love to see you there. We have so much fun talking with our nerdy listeners and scholars. Thank you to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. And to Louise for not freaking out too much during this (laughs) evening recording. (laughs) Oh, good timing. Next time, we'll be back to discuss Love and Friendship by Jane Austen. Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book. (laughs) 